Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping B2B marketers do better marketing through content, community, and social media. My name is Jason Bradwell, and every week I sit down with whip-smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build an audience strategy that scales from day one, and that also delivers real business results, not vanity metrics. If you've come here for theory, then you may be in the wrong place. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. So today on To Be Better, I am very excited again to be joined by Yvonne, marketing specialist from Tint. Yvonne appeared on my 2021 B2B Marketing Trends episode all the way back in January. I can't believe it's June already. Yvonne, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. I'm so excited. Good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you again. Where's the time gone? I can't believe it's I know. been five, six months already. I know. Don't even tell me that. It's makes it's scary to think how fast time goes now when you're older. I need to listen back to that episode and see if the trends are all still relevant because things have moved so fast and, and so greatly since then. But today we're going to be talking a little bit about your work over at Tint and a great strategic initiative that you've been running for them over there to help them kind of build their audience around a newsletter. So before we dig into that, tell us a little bit about your role and also a little bit about Tint. All right. So I am a marketing specialist at Tint. Uh, Tint is a uh, platform that collects, finds, and helps enterprises display user-generated content across every marketing channel you can imagine. My role specifically focuses on building a strategic initiative called Future Marketing. And basically, I'm I, I send out a weekly newsletter and we cover global trends, consumer behavior, and examples of brands using UGC and EGC to build trust and be more authentic in their marketing strategies. So we've been doing that, also been interviewing marketers. So kind of like what you're doing here and hosting events and all that good stuff. So it's been quite a ride, I will say. Like, yeah, I can absolutely imagine. And for those of you, for those, for our listeners who, who, who need a little bit of help with our acronyms, UGC, user-generated content, EGC is employee generated content. So that's for brands who are kind of, you know, enlisting the the help of their employees to go out there and act as advocates and, and preach the gospel, right? Exactly. And I'll, and I'll try to dive into it during the conversation. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I have been an avid follower of the future of marketing ever since you and I first chatted all the way back in, back in January. And uh, we're going to dig into this a little bit about, you know, the initiative and, and kind of what prompted starting it and, uh, and then the, and the success that you've had to date. But before we get into that, let's just go right back to, you know, why do you think it's important for B2B brands to build an audience? Well, first of all, not a lot of B2B brands are doing it in the first place. So it automatically gives you that competitive advantage. It, it gives your audience something to work with. It, it gets them to, you build trust with them. And one thing that I like to think about here is brand positioning. It positions your brand as the industry leader. And when people see that your employees or your team or your customers are advocating for your brand, then it gets more people enticed and willing to participate in the brand building aspect. So not only that, but you generate more leads, you close more sales, you build customer loyalty and retention. And, and the, the beauty of customer loyalty is if 
your customers are sharing feedback about your brand online, you as a brand or B2B brand can use that feedback in order to iterate and improve. And that shows your customers that you're listening. And that's, that's where you build a loyalty, really. Yeah, absolutely. I like to think of it as, you know, to, to your point, one of the last kind of competitive marketing advantages there is left for companies, right? Because, you know, if you're a startup and, and you're trying to kind of build a name for yourself in your, in your industry, in your sector, and you're going up against a big player who can just kind of throw money at ads and just drown you out in terms of impressions, you know, that's hard. That's a hard thing to go up against, but building an audience, that's something that money can't really buy, right? You've got to put in the work in building and delivering that value to to your customers, and I think with the future of marketing, I mean, what what, what you what you're all doing at Tin is just an incredible way to kind of build that kind of competitive moat around yourself with with your audience. So, talking about your audience, tell us a little bit about what the future of marketing is, and and who is it for? Like, what are they what are they getting out of the future of marketing? So, future of marketing is basically an educational resource. Uh, we live and breathe by user-generated content, employee-generated content. And the one thing that we want marketers to understand is how do you build more engagement and how do you do authentic marketing? And that's where the voice of real people come in, right? And so a lot of the interviews that we've been doing, for example, they're with marketers just like you and me. And it's very interesting to hear their perspective. And that's actually what the series is called. It's called Perspectives. It's very interesting to see how marketing looks like through their lens. And this is also a chance for us to dive into some deeper deeper conversations, like how did your career get started? What was the turning point in all of this? And it gets you, you build relationships with them to the point that it just makes it more natural for you in the future to just go up to them and be like, hey, do you want to collab or... And, and it just, it, it just makes it fun. It makes marketing fun. Really. It's, and I've had a really, I've had a blast really just connecting with a lot of these marketers and learning from them and seeing what they're doing and how they're connecting with their audience, their challenges too. So it's almost like we're, we want to be the voice of marketers. And so, yeah, I mean, we've been doing a lot. We've been focused on the newsletter, which is our bread and butter. That's what we live and breathe. And we have a blog, we have these interviews, we've hosted events, webinars, and now we're trying to see what the next step is, hopefully a referral program. (laughs) So (laughs) take the morning brew approach. Yeah, Um, I know. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes complete sense. And, And as I say, I've been, I've been a subscriber to the future of marketing for a long time. And certainly when I'm reading through it, the newsletter in particular, you know, I, like you say, I feel like it's representing my voice as, as a marketer trying to navigate my way through, you know, in B2B, a fairly unsophisticated field when it comes to kind of UGC and EGC. There's lots of collateral out there for the B2C part of of that story, B2B, not so much. So I'm curious, you know, when you were, I'm not sure if you were at Tint when they were developing the concept of future of marketing, take us back to the beginning. Were you there when the idea was conceived or did you, did you come in after it already uh, launched? I came in after it launched and it was a website and that was pretty much it. And there was a couple of blogs on there. They described what their vision was for it. And really, I just spearheaded that and uh, turned it into what it is now. And hopefully it'll, get, it'll keep getting better, right? 
So yeah, I, I had an opportunity to fix up the website initially, add call to actions here and there. The newsletter was completely from zero. So so that was really, I think I'm on issues number 65 or 66 now. So I've been doing that for 66 weeks and it's been a ride, I will say. Absolutely. So that's, that's really interesting because, you know, when I was, when I was doing a little bit of research before we jumped onto this recording and really start kind of looking at the branding of the future of marketing and that of, that of the Tint website, I didn't get a apart from the logo, right, of Future of Marketing, which says kind of presented by, by Tint, it feels a little bit like you're operating them as kind of two separate entities, unless I'm mistaken, right? Like it, it feels like the Future of Marketing could almost exist, you know, as, a, as an independent publication. And I, I wondered, you know, as part of your strategy, was that a deliberate decision to make or, or was it something that just kind of, you know, serendipitously happened as you were, as you started publishing the newsletter? It was something that really just started, but it, it did become part of the strategy eventually. Like, do we want it to look like tint? And it came down to the point where, no, we, we don't, because we don't want people to feel like we're selling to them. And mm. we wanted a cool vision for it. We wanted cool visuals and things that were a little bit different, not your typical ads and stuff. So I'm very, I'm a very visual person. So if you go into the blogs, you'll see like the images are very minimalist and I try to be very mindful of the images that I'm sharing on there. So mm. it's been good. Yeah. And that's really interesting. And I think, you know, you, you touched on something there that's really important, right? When it comes to audience building is, you know, not coming across as a brand, like you're trying to sell like all the time. And I think that's probably where a lot of B2B marketers or sorry, B2B companies, I should say, fall a bit short. They feel like they've always got to be on, right? They've always got to be pushing the, the narrative about their product or service or why they're the best company that are out there to work with with their clients. But you know, just like Tint, you know, there are there are a growing number of B2B brands who are launching kind of, you know, to the side publications that, you know, from, from their, their staff, their writers, their ideas, but could exist almost as like a standalone um, piece of piece of content or a standalone channel. And it almost adds that kind of level of credibility, like, you know, to your point, right. It, it kind of takes away that pressure to sell. It's more about delivering value. And, and I think that's the key thing when it comes to building an audience, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I, I really do think it's, it's important. Like you don't, that's the last thing you want is to, for people to feel like you're selling to them. And really by, by breaking up these two brands, you're able to do that. And if, you know, Tint were to decide to do something with future marketing, then it's, we have the freedom and flexibility to do that. So. Yeah. Was there a reason why, because I mean, you know, marketers are certainly my inbox is jam packed with newsletters, right? Like I'm, I'm getting newsletters from every Tom, Dick and Harry, it seems some of which just kind of fall into my internal filter of that's just noise. And I should probably unsubscribe to that at some point. And some that, you know, like future of marketing that really kind of stand out and I want to make the time to, to read whenever it comes in. But was there a reason when it came to devising the strategy of future marketing that you did go down the newsletter route versus perhaps, you know, starting with like a podcast or a video series or something like that? So no, there was no real reason other than the newsletter was we already had an existing audience. And so we wanted to turn them into advocates, improve customer retention, build loyalty. And so in a lot of the B2B companies, an email list is one of your greatest assets. So 
once we do launch the podcast, for example, we'll be doing the same thing. We'll be funneling people into into the newsletter or as subscribers of the newsletter. So the newsletter is really like the pinnacle piece of content for us. And then everything else is just a way to distribute it and get our name out there. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's I think I guess it's this 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 conversation around kind of like an owned relationship versus uh, a borrowed relationship. You know, if you if you kind mm-hmm. of put all your time and energy into kind of like writing Twitter thread Twitter threads and growing a Twitter following, you know, obviously there's a place for that. There's an importance in that, but ultimately you're at the you're at the mercy of the platform to mm-hmm. to to kind of uh, facilitate your relationship with your customers. And you know, God forbid if someone reported you and you got your account torn down, that could be potentially years of work down the drain. The email side of things, I mean, it's really kind of going back to marketing 101, but it's a big thing for someone to give you some of their inbox real estate, right? It shows that degree of of trust. So it makes absolute sense that that would form the kind of pinnacle, I guess, of, 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 the, of the strategy there. What are you using or what are you and the team using it tend to kind of measure the success of future of marketing? Is it the number of subscribers you've got? Is it the open rate, the click-through rate, combination of all the above? Like, how are you saying, like, we've done a good job here? Okay, so subscribers, that's, I live by subscribers. That is what I have to report every every week, every quarter. But another one that we're measuring is engagement, open rates. We want to see that people are opening the newsletter. We want to see what they're clicking on, how long they're reading for, where they found us from, whether it was the blog or social media, or maybe it was a webinar. So all these little things. But another thing that I like to measure, but it doesn't really get counted because you can't, it's not quantifiable, is the number of brand mentions and the testimonials and word of mouth and all those little things that when people say like, hey, this is a really good newsletter or I I can't stop reading it or like just you telling me that you read it. Those are little moments for me personally where I'm like, okay, people are actually paying attention. And that to me means a little bit more than like the number of subscribers that I have. I want to know that people are engaged and actually are getting some value out of this. Would you say that that kind of more unquantifiable, I guess, to a degree metric, right? That kind of more soft. Yeah. I, I know people are reading it because they're, and they're liking it because they're telling me that people, that, 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 that they're liking it. You know, is that something that you find does carry weight in the conversations you're having with your, with your manager, your boss? Like, you know, yes, we're on the right track here just because I've got a feeling based on what people are telling me that's it's going well. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, we've gotten really big companies uh, reach out and tell us that they they like the newsletter or or they'll send in some feedback, and that's gold for me to go back into to my VP and tell them, hey, well, we have X brand talking about us, and it's like, okay, well, that opens the opportunity for a conversation for sales, even. So even for customer retention, it could be a customer that we already have. And the fact that they're engaging with their, with our newsletter or our content shows that they're interested and it's a good sign for us. So. Yeah, definitely. And the reason that the reason I ask the question is because I think, you know, sometimes in our quest to quantify and attribute kind of everything that we do as marketers to some sort of goal or ROI, we can lose sight of the fact that there is a lot happening in between the cracks of all of that. You know, you can't measure word of mouth necessarily 
You know, if someone, if someone, if a reader of the future of marketing, you know, one of your potential customers, you know, reached out after reading it to one of your existing customers and said, Hey, I've seen this newsletter. They're doing, they're speaking my, my language. I want to learn more about them. Would you recommend them? And then that customer says, yeah, definitely. You should, you should speak to Tint. You as a, you as a, as a marketer may not necessarily be able to track how that enthusiasm and intent comes into the business but it still happened, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. it is because of your efforts and the future of marketing success that that business has been won. So I don't know what you think about that. Like in our kind of, in our desire to kind of measure everything and quantify everything, we almost l- let go of the kind of instinctive feeling that, you know, what we're working on is having an effect. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think that's one of the things that I strongly advocate for is you're, when you're measuring things, you do tend to lose sight of what's important or what's happening in the, in the background. Those little conversations, it's hard, to quant- and it's hard to pull those conversations and tell people that it's working, really. So I, I, I do feel like as marketers, it's really important for us to just build these relationships like we are right here. When you're doing your work, it's it's... I don't know. Hold on. I'm going to pause for that. But yeah, when, when you, when you lose sight of what you're, what you're doing or what your mission is, it gets a little bit harder to market at least appropriately and do it right. in a way that people trust you in a way that people want to share your content, because then it goes back to the whole, it feels like you're selling to them. Then you don't want that. Nobody Mm. wants that. And the last thing you want is for someone to see your blog and think, oh, this guy's just selling to me. So how can you turn that blog into content that people actually want to engage with, actually want to share with their friends? That's the, that's the little key. That's the piece of the puzzle that I feel a lot of marketers are missing. And so when you're measuring your numbers, you or, or, or your reporting numbers and you're focusing on, okay, how many followers do I have? It makes it very difficult for you to go back and figure out what's really, really impactful and what do people really resonate with. And to me, I think having 10 very active and engaged subscribers is way more important than having a hundred of them who just don't care about my newsletter or my content. And, you know, that's not good. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I think, like you say, you know, the blogs, the blogs, for instance, that just have post after post of, you know, here's how I, I can sell to you. And here's how great my product is versus all the other ones out there. You, you will take one look at it as a buyer that perhaps isn't ready to buy right quite right now and say, yeah, I get the gist of that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to come back to it. I've got no reason to come back to it. Whereas if as a brand, you are consistently delivering value content that helps your buyers, whether or not they're ready to buy right now or they're ready to buy in a year's time, if you're delivering that content that makes them better professionals, then they have a reason to come back to you, open your newsletter, listen to your podcast week in, week out, so that when they are ready to buy and in B2B, you know, we've got longer sales cycles than you know, in B2C perhaps where, you know, you decide to buy a banana and you can go out and buy it immediately. Uh, you know, you've, when, when, that intent, when that intent is there, when they are ready to buy, you've already got that trust because you've been delivering consistently value to them week in, week out for X number of years. So yeah, it's, 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 I think it's the future. I think it's the way things are, it's the way the tide is shifting, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, absolutely. I really do. And they do say that a lot of these B2B companies are eventually going to turn into media companies. And I mean, we're seeing it right here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, look at HubSpot, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. I was I was just talking to someone earlier today and I was saying that, you know, I have been consuming HubSpot content for years. I've been part of their academy. I've attended a few of their events. I've, you know, read a bunch of blog posts and downloaded a bunch of their guidebooks and all that kind of stuff for free and without, you know, becoming a customer until only recently. But when we got to the point where, you know, we needed a platform like HubSpot, you bet they were top of my list because I knew exactly what it is that they were all about. I knew what I needed to know about their platform. I had the trust in them that they were going to be able to deliver me what I needed to do that I would never have gotten if they had just focused on feature updates and, you know, benefit led. Here's how our product is better than every other marketing platform out there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because it feels salesy. No one likes that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I'm sure that in the building of the future of marketing, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. You know, whenever you run these initiatives, there are always growing pains. You know, what's a, what's a unique challenge that you face perhaps in building the newsletter and, and how did you overcome it? Oh man. Okay. Besides writer's block, because writing a newsletter every single it. week, yeah, you're, you're, you're bound to get it at one point. Besides that distribution, I, I'll have to admit distribution is very hard because producing content is one thing, distributing it to the right people is completely different, but you want your content to be seen. So you have to distribute. So what do you do? Well, that's where you start thinking, how do you work smarter, not harder? And it goes back to what I told you. Well, well you can grab one piece of content. So a webinar, a blog, or a podcast, something more long form and start you know, pulling out the little tidbits that are very important from that, that you feel people are actually going to engage with or people want to read or share. And so what I started doing is I started going back to some of these, some of these videos, some of these blogs, some these podcasts, and I started kind of pulling some of that. So it made my content distribution process a lot easier instead of having to just produce, 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 and no one's hearing about it. And yeah, that was probably my biggest challenge. And I feel like it's one of the biggest challenges for a lot of marketers after talking to a lot of you guys. Distribution is always really, really difficult. It's more of a time thing than it is like a difficulty thing, really. So when you're talking about distribution, you're talking about getting that, you know, you're producing this content for the newsletter and it's getting people aware that the newsletter exists and getting them subscribed to that newsletter, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. Exactly it. So what is the kind of primary mechanism that you're using to, to get people subscribed? Because as I said, you know, if you, if, if you go to the TIN website, unless I, unless I missed it, you know, there's not an immediate opportunity to subscribe to the newsletter, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. I mean, we have call to actions throughout, like sprinkled in, and that's kind of what I was telling you earlier about. We need to go back to the website and improve it, right? Mm. Because we needed to get out there with our MVP, your minimum viable product. So, so we do have our, our landing page. We, we have the CTA button sprinkled throughout in the blog on the tint blog. We also have one there. We tend to funnel in future of marketing content as needed. And same thing with the future marketing, we tend to cross link some of the content to Tint in case you're ready to buy or want to learn more about the UGC platform. But it's usually we we kind of 
tag team with those two brands. And, and another one is just a lot of guest posting and guest appearances like this have been very helpful. Events have probably been the most helpful, to be honest. Events that you and Tin have organized or events that you've attended and plugged the future of marketing there? organized uh, a lot of webinars and so we did one with Hootsuite back in February we have a couple more coming up with them but yeah partnering with bigger brands and stuff like that has been very very helpful Hmm. that's interesting you know look I think webinars get a bad rap Mm because I I think you know particularly over the pandemic people were saying oh webinar I can't be bothered with them anymore because I think everyone kind of overcompensated on webinars right at the beginning so people start kind of going going off them a little bit and you know they kind of fell into this like ugh, b2b marketing webinar bucket and i i like you there's still juice in them like i've run a couple of webinars myself and you know relative to the industry that 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 i've operated in which is quite niche we've seen great numbers like of mm-hmm. people who have who have registered and also the conversion rate is nuts like let's say that you know we had 150 registrants we saw like a hundred person conversion into the actual registrants of the webinar, uh, attendees, sorry, of the webinar. So I think there's juice in them still. I think, I don't know if you agree, but I think it just comes down to the content. If you're putting out crap, then people aren't going (laughs) to attend, right? But if, if the content itself is good enough, webinars are a fantastic means to continue to reach, you know, B2B buyers. No, yeah, totally. I, I, it goes back to what you said. It's the content, it's the people presenting. You, you want credible sources to be presenting. But something that I've noticed is like, there's, it's Twitter, right? Marketing Twitter. There's so much noise there, and it's very easy to feel like you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing because they don't agree with it. But I, and, and for a long time, I felt like this because I was sharing content on my Twitter. And that's, this is a good example. Sharing content on my Twitter, whether it was a webinar or a newsletter, and I noticed that it wouldn't get as much engagement as if I just posted something random and spontaneous. But then I started getting messages from our target audience, right? And then I realized, wait a minute, it's we're doing it right because the people that we want to like to talk to us or like be exposed to our content are talking to us and they are reaching out versus marketing Twitter is all this noise and makes you feel like you're doing something wrong. But in reality, it's you're just not in the right space. That's where it goes down to who's your target audience and where are they? So if I post a webinar on LinkedIn, it's going to perform way differently than if I were to post it on Twitter. So it just comes down to who you're talking to, what the content is and where you're sharing it. And also I like what I like, yeah, marketing Twitter is a whole beast that we could probably do a whole nother episode on, which I'll, I'll save, I'll save the listeners of this podcast from that. But you know, if it works, it works, right? The other good thing about, about webinars that I've found, and I wonder if this plays into your kind of your distribution strategy over at 10 is the kind of the repurposing value of webinars is so high, like, because, you know, it takes relative to writing something like a full blown 40 page white paper that no one may even read in the end anyway it takes relatively minimal effort to pull together a webinar and actually have a nice interesting conversation with someone if if the topic is good enough and like you say the speakers are, are high quality and then what you can do with that video at the end is is you know you can take the transcript and turning it into a newsletter or a blog. You can take the video snippets and you can throw them up on social media. You can take the audio and put it into a podcast. You know, I don't know if that's factored into your, your distribution strategy at all, but kind of like the repurposing value of, of kind of video webinar content. Right. 
Yeah, 100%. We, that's our goal is how, where can we distribute this content? And it, like, it's, you'll more than likely, we did one on state of UGC with Hootsuite recently. It was a white paper which took a lot of time, I will admit. But then we took it a step further and we had a speaker from Hootsuite join us for a webinar. And from that webinar, we turned it into social posts and it just, it created this just domino effect of content. And yeah, you can do so much with one piece of content. You just have to know what's the message that you're trying to get across and be very, very intentional with that. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about the challenges that you faced in, in building uh, the future of marketing audience. I guess another kind of riff on that question, you know, if you could go back right to the beginning of, of this process of this journey, you know, what's the one thing that you would advise yourself, other B2B marketing teams who are perhaps at the beginning of the same journey that you've been on, you know, what could they do? Or what do they need to get right from day one to save themselves kind of a lot of trouble further down the line when it comes to building an audience? Well, besides the cliche, know why you're doing it and who you're doing it for, I would say focus on brand. Okay. I feel like a, a lot of companies start running and don't know where they're running to, don't know who they're running for or why. So just understanding what you stand for and who you stand for and what value you, you provide will take you a long way. And I feel like a lot of brand, not even brands, but a lot of companies tend to skip over the brand just because you can't quantify it. You can't measure it, but it's your first impression. And it's not just your visuals. That's part of it too. But like, what, what do you stand for? Who are you? Why should I care? These are all things that people are going to, you have, I mean, yeah, they're, they're going to wonder these things and you only have what, like seven seconds to make that first impression. And so if your brand's not up to par, people are not going to care. They're not going to engage and they're probably never going to look at you again. Mm. I think I was reading, I was reading a, a study the other day, which I think said that Gen Z's attention span now is about two seconds. Oh God, so, don't tell oh, me no. that. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> two, <laughs> That's two not seconds? good. No, it's not, not at all. It's less than a goldfish, funnily <laughs> enough. But uh, yeah, because I think when you say brand, like, you know, some people listening to this may immediately jump to, like you said, like the visuals, right? Like, okay, so what we're saying here is I need to make sure I've got a nice banner and a nice logo of for, for my newsletter or my blog or whatever it is that I'm creating. But that's not what you're talking about. As you say, it's it's the why you're doing what you're doing and the reason why someone should buy into it and, and come along on the journey with you, right? Yeah, totally. The Like the visuals are the cherry on top, the way I see it. I, they Don't get me wrong. Visuals are very powerful. So when I say brand, it's literally everything. It's what you stand for. It's your internal and external cues, what people see, what people hear, what people read, every little thing. So just like I said, just be intentional about those things and why you're, you want to behave a certain way or you want to be perceived a certain way is very important. And I think that's, I think that's even more interesting based on kind of what, as we've said already at the beginning of this podcast, like what you're doing with the future of marketing, which is intentionally positioning it almost as like a sub-brand or, or something independent of the kind of tint content portfolio to a degree. As we said, you know, it could exist as a standalone, you know, as, it, as its own publication. And, you know, when I think of the future of marketing, before you even said it, I'm thinking, okay, this is a piece of content that's going to help me as a marketer be better, do better at UGC and EGC. So, you know, it seems like for, for what you have, what you've done over at Tint, you have been very intentional about what it is that you're you're trying to achieve with the future of marketing. 
definitely. Every single piece of newsletter or blog, you bet there's going to be some UGC or EGC weaved into it because that is what we stand for. And that's what we want to teach marketers because it's getting to the point where people don't really resonate with your celebrities anymore, right? People want to do business with people and that's where your employees, your customers and your fans come in. And Mm. so you'll see that all over. Definitely. Definitely. I don't say this to brag, but someone messaged me the other day and referenced me as an influencer. And I think I almost passed out. Wow. I've made it, mum. Mum, I've made it. Yeah, you have made it. Can I get your (laughs) autograph? (laughs) I'm going to just, I'm going to write a thousand of them and I'm going to send them out to the first thousand people that comment on my next tweet. You're smart. Look at me. So a couple of questions to bring us home. What do you think is going to be And this kind of takes me back to when we, when we first met and we recorded the, uh, the first episode together on, on 2021 trends, a little bit longer, further looking, what do you think is going to be the biggest change in terms of, of how B2B companies market themselves in the next five years? Well, I did say earlier that a lot of these B2B brands will turn into media companies, but taking it a step farther there, I think the employees will Actually, a lot of these brands are going to be encouraging their employees to create content and to build these media brands, which is exactly what's happening at Future of Marketing, if you really think about it that way. So employee advocacy is going to be huge, turning your employees into your team into influencers. That's going to be a really, really big trend. And you're already starting to see it with Morning Brew, right? So mm. that's, that's where we're heading, turning your internal influencers, because it's easy. It's, it's easy. And why not build your team's personal brands while you're at it? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think I couldn't agree more. Right. And I've, I've written about it before. And obviously I know that the future of marketing and you've covered this extensively. It seems to me like a no brainer, particularly in the early days when you're trying to build a brand and, you know, your brand accounts have, you know, the only followers are, are your parents. Why would you not leverage the networks of your employees if they're willing to, of course, you can't force anyone to, to do anything or post on social media if they don't want to, but why would you not make it okay and give, give your employees the tools to, to go out there and advocate on your behalf? I think some people would, some, some CEOs perhaps would say that I, wor- I worry that my competitors are going to see them and they're going to try and steal them away from me. I mean, you're shaking your head. What, what do you think about that? I, I, I can see that happening. I can really see that happening. But I mean, this is where you as a company need to treat your employees really well because you don't want them to leave. That's where you start incentivizing them. You start building relationships with them. You start, you, you talk to them and see what their goals are for the future. And you, and you take the steps necessary to help them get there. That's all you have to do. That's what, it's not that difficult. And I don't know, I don't know why all these brands just are, are so scared to shine the light at their or spotlight their employees. Like, by the way, for anyone listening, brand messages shared by employees are reshared 24 times more than when these messages are reshared by the brand itself. Fun fact. So why in the world wouldn't you turn it, your employees into influencers? It makes you look good too. So yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, more and more people, I mean, that's a fantastic statistic, to be honest, you know, 24 times, it's, it's, it's crazy. And especially in the early days, like we say, you know, it's a, a no brainer why you wouldn't do it. But f- for me, it's about, you know, the first step is just letting them know it's okay. In, in my opinion, you know, like it can be a little bit daunting as an employee 
to go out there and start talking about your brand without the without having received that explicit permission because you don't want to be the one that's kind of giving away any kind of company secrets or talking about customers who perhaps have been very explicit in saying do not talk about our work together online but as a brand you know and we were talking a bit about this before we we started recording when it comes to you know retaining your employees letting people know and being very explicit in that permission yes you know you can go out there and you can become an influencer, if that's what you wish, can be a great retention tool, I think, for, for employees. And I think that's what you're, what, you're, what you're saying, right? Yeah, not even just retention, but for recruitment purposes. So, it, and I'll give you an example. If you go to Chipotle's careers page, it's all EGC, employee-generated content. They're sharing images and content about them working there. And so when you, as a potential employee go onto the careers page, you see other employees all happy and loving their job. And it makes you want to be part of that culture. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Fun question for you. If you could, cause you work, obviously you're a marketer in working in marketing. If you could market any other industry, what would you, where would you work? What would you be? What would it be? I love this question. So I have two and I was thinking very hard about this. So I love traveling. So if if I were to go the travel direction, like a company like National Geographic would be amazing. And then another one would be space, space exploration, like working for NASA or something like that. I just, I really love culture and I really love like knowing how insignificant we are in the world and like what's out there and why are we here? Like all these little questions. And I, I it's just really intriguing to me. And I, I think it'd be really cool to work just for any of these industries, really, just because I love these topics and I think they're very interesting topics and you're always learning something. And yeah, so space or travel. We need to get you a time machine, fast forward 150 years, and then you could be a marketer in space travel. Oh my God. Throw the two together. Or maybe I can join Jeff Bezos up in space next month. So yeah. Well, the seat, the seat, the seat in his, in his rocket is up for auction. I think yesterday when I was looking, it was about $2.6 million. So if you've got a spare couple of, a couple of notes lying around, maybe, maybe you could join him. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go check my, my safe. See (laughs) see if I can just find that. I'll just go get my, I'll just go, uh, go cash out some of my Bitcoin. Yvonne, this has been, it's been so lovely, uh, having you back on, on B2B better and, and getting the opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into, into your work and what you're building over a future of marketing. Before I let you go, who do you think I should interview next on B2B better? I'd love to get your recommendations. So I know she was part of our last episode, Claire Kennedy, if you haven't done an episode with her. I just interviewed her last week on Just Employee Advocacy. She's an incredible resource there. Uh, And another one that I am absolutely obsessed with is Chris Walker. You'll find him on LinkedIn. So just search his name. When it comes to B2B marketing, wow. This guy really knows what he's doing. And he's been an incredible source of inspiration for me and the way that I want to keep developing the future marketing. So I will definitely look into him too. And, you know, I think they'd be really, really good conversations. 
I I know of both of them. In fact, Claire, and this is a little sneak peek, is scheduled to speak on Be to Be Better in the next couple of nice. weeks. So I've I've already I've already locked her down, which I'm really looking forward to. Chris, yeah, I mean, he is a, he is a heavy hitter when it comes to B two B marketing, demand generation, and you know he speaks a lot of sense in terms of the future of of B two B buying behavior and and how brands can get ahead of that. So he would be a dream guest. So I'll take your recommendation and I'll see what I can see what I can wangle. Yeah, definitely. I think what I like about Chris is that he says thinks everyone's thinking and no one knows how to actually articulate it. He does that beautifully. So if you, if you do get that episode, please send it my way because that'd be amazing. Definitely. I will do. Yvonne, this has been fantastic. For anyone who is interested in subscribing to the Future of Marketing or learning more about you or you know, dropping you some, some messages to, to, to learn more about you and ask you questions, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Just search my name, Yvonne Aldas, and you'll find me. And I am happy to answer any DMs and send you to the right place. Excellent. Yvonne, thanks very much for being on B2B Better. That's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you've enjoyed it, you can check out my previous episodes via the link in the description. Or if you fancy getting a nice hot steaming mug of B2B marketing advice on how to build an audience for your brand, you can sign up to my newsletter, the B2B Byte, which goes out every Monday. I'll drop the link to that also in the description of this episode. See you next time.